everyone's so busy keeping up. Forget about the Joneses, we all on our telephones. With the texts and the tweets and the beats, what he said, she said, can't even follow the three. Down the hole, we all go. Me, I like keeping up too, with my corona and my attitude. That's La Vida Masfina. Relax responsibly. Corona Extra Beer. Imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. I do want to talk about the baseball playoffs, but let's start with Derek Falvey's year-end press conference. Lavelle and I were there. I'm sure Roy has heard a lot of the fallout of what was discussed. First of all, as I said in my column, Lavelle, it is pretty remarkable that a modern uh, baseball CEO sits there and takes questions for more than an hour and nobody interrupts. Nobody tries to protect him. Nobody ends the session. He just sat there and answered questions so we didn't have any questions left. And then he went to the dugout and did a bunch of TV interviews. That stuff just doesn't happen in modern sports. There's always a PR person standing there trying to cut everything off, trying to protect, you know, protect their poor little uh, CEO or their poor little manager or coach. Uh, so before we get to the actual substance of it, I would, I just think it's remarkable that the twins actually do that. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, you know, it, it, it shows you how you can argue how transparent an organization is when they do this, but at least they're available, you know, and accessible. And it's been like that ever since, you know, I've been here. I remember back in the day, and we, we could get in the clubhouse before it would officially open to get stories done. And Tom Kelly had no problems, you know, looking up at two o'clock in the afternoon and seeing one of us in, in the clubhouse getting stuff done. And Dave St. Peter has kind of carried that, that approach along. Um, and I was a little nervous when Falvey and Levine took over because I thought they may change some of this run and be uh, and kind of close ranks a little bit more. But that's definitely not happened, and uh, it's it's pretty neat too. I mean, you can if you can recognize you know some of the people they've hired over the last five five years because it seems like they've added like two hundred people. You know, you catch one of those people, they're willing to chat for a few minutes. You know, and that's what I've always liked about dealing with this organization. And that's what makes it one of the more unique organizations in, in baseball because some of these other clubs, you got to go through, jump through several hoops to get an interview. Uh, and then if, uh, if a Derek Falvey of Houston does decide to talk, it's going to be sitting behind a table for 10 or 15 minutes, you know, with uh, a moderator going time for two more. And then, you know, then it's going to be over. So this is definitely uh, pretty neat. And it's a great uh, opportunity, you know, to ask whatever you want from the organization. All right. So let's start this with Lavelle. Your, what did you take most from that session? Then we'll get Roy's reaction to what he's hearing. Uh, well, what jumped out to me was um, they did, you know, examine the medical and training situation and decided to let Michael Salazar go. Um, I had heard grumblings about that late in the season that they're going to uh, look at making some moves in that area. I thought it would be more than Mr. Salazar. Um, you know, I heard I've heard through my conversations with people there that there was there were some breakdowns in communications and there needs to be a stronger bond between um, the, the training staff and the strength and conditioning staff. And it sounded like it went beyond. Now, it was it was more than just Mr. Salazar and maybe some other things need to be tweaked. So we'll see how this works. And I think if you go back and look through the last several media guys, the last few years, they've kind of uh, added and subtracted people. You know, from those groups. So I think they've been trying to find the right combination of people 
uh, that can best serve their their athletes. And I think they're still trying to find that right mix. So um, this is an interesting work in progress because um, we saw what happened to uh, to the, the Twins players this past year, leading the American League and players on the injured list and days missed because of being on the injured list. And um, you know that's gonna that's gonna be something that we're gonna continue to watch and see if they can uh, figure out a way to get back to the days when they really didn't have problems like this to this extent. And Roy, what do you think about uh, the fact that the Twins, you know, go through that difficult season and they basically make one change to date? Uh, just just your thoughts in general. Well, I mean, there's time. I'm sure they're evaluating a lot of, a lot of things. Right. I think. Um, Lavelle's comments are interesting uh, to me. I, I have always felt like it, the strength and conditioning uh, person shouldn't be the leader of the whole group of training staff and strength and conditioning and nutrition and all that. <clears throat> but I really think that speaking of, you know, Lavelle's talking about communication. I, I, I don't understand how there could not be you know, better, why it wouldn't be, be obvious to all. That's it. It's imperative that there's a, you know, three-pronged approach to, uh, to the health of, uh, of the players in this day and age. And I mean, things have, things have drastically changed. They've got nutrition at home. They've got nutrition on the road. They've got all the strength and things that they could possibly want um, and the, um, the fact that it's being driven by the training room staff and not communicated very well, evidently, is, is surprising to me, to say, to say the least. I, 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 would, I would think that the way to do that is to get a, you know, a top-flight uh, strength and conditioning coach and trainer uh, and nutritionist who are going to work together and they show up in well, even in the off season, you know, have a plan for each for each guy. If they have to fly them in and say, "Here are the exercises that you should be doing uh, all winter long to be ready for you know for spring training, whether it's pitchers' shoulders and elbows, or whether it's you know whatever it is, whether it's hitters' obliques, I mean, whatever it is." And and it's 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 startling to me that and Lavelle said it rather benignly, but I I think it's a big deal that, that there was that. They didn't like the the communication that was happening or not happening between those between those groups. So let, that's, let me that's be clear. Surprising I, to me. And let me be clear. I went and looked at the text message I got on the subject. The word was the word that was used to me was misalignment. So, um, you, yeah, to me that's communication may be part of it, maybe more than just that. So, um, yeah, I mean misalignment. That's that's getting at it at more of, of you know what I'm talking about. I think. You know, I think everybody has got to be on the, the same page about what kind of programs, what kind of things all of the players should be doing. They, they need to they need to work through that together. And, and I think the strength and conditioning staff needs to be, you know, on par with the, uh, you know, with the training staff in terms of the, uh, the, the knowledge and the expertise and, uh, and the devising of plans for each player. Yeah, it's kind of baffling that this would go on in this day and age. It was just like, you know, years ago, the Twins had to have a big meeting to make sure scouting and player development were on the same page. And I was like, how can that, how can that not be on the same page, you know? <laughs> That's like one of the more crucial factors. How are you going to 
build a, a roster is that scouting and player development needs to be uh, connected and, and what the players are looking for and the players they can develop. So um, this is similar to that to me. All I got to say is our lineup is not misaligned. We have Royce Smalley, the yeah. former Twins All-Star, current Twins broadcaster. We have Lavelle Neal from the Star Tribune. I'm Jim Suhan from the Star Tribune and TalkNorth.com. Our producer today is Brianne Burdett. And we want, do want to thank Corona, the f- official import beer sponsor of the Minnesota Twins and the presenting sponsor of the Chin Music Show here at TalkNorth.com. Thanks also to Head Flyer Brewing for hosting the John Krasinski Show and hundreds of people the other day. That was a blast. If you'd like to sponsor this show, or advertise with any of the shows across our vast platform. You can reach Karen Cleary at K-C-L-E-A-R-Y at TalkNorth.com. If you're just a listener, not just a listener, but if you're a listener, we do recommend subscribing to your favorite podcast app. It's free, it's easy, and of course, you can always go to TalkNorth.com, see our archives, our many shows, our outdoor shows, our sports lineup, and check it all out. We do appreciate it. Uh, so, you know, injuries are to me, are they define the season, uh, how they deal with that spate of injuries is going to define their off season. But you know, that's not is important, even though that might be the most important aspect, we're still looking at, at a, an organization that whatever its reputation in town, uh, has spent a lot of money and has been very aggressive in previous off seasons. If they decide to be aggressive this off season, what should they do? Uh, I look at the organization. I look, and then once again, this is presuming relatively good health. Uh, to me, they have bullpen depth. They have starting pitching depth. They have lineup depth. They have organizational depth. It makes sense to me that they package some of these players and go get a big knocker, uh, as Jerry Burns would say, for either the middle of the lineup or the top of the rotation. Uh, Roy, what do you think? Yeah, I'm with you on uh, both those those. Um the, the, those needs that need to be addressed. And you guys know that I think they need a big knocker. Right? I think they need somebody hitting third or fourth that there that is the that is the man. And then Buck and Polanco uh, and you know Miranda, those guys fit in around fit in around that guy. So I that would be one area that I think they're they're a bit lacking. You can always use you know a half again or full step better starter. Um, you know, that's something that they need. I think they need to, uh, they need to look at. And then lastly, probably not lastly in terms of what they have to do. We talked about it last week, but they've got to figure out what their plan is at shortstop. And, uh, because if they don't, uh, if they, if they think Royce Lewis is going to be ready and he's the guy, you know, that's, you know, that's fine. If, if he's, and, and then you don't sign Cray and you free up money, other things that we're talking about. I mean, that's, that's fine. That if Royce Lewis turns out not to be ready and he's on the, you know, it's going to take him till, you know, May or the middle of May or some, sometime to get in the lineup. And then that's going to be a problem. And even if on the best case scenario, he's ready as a full spring training, he looks really good. There's going to be growing pains with, with Royce Lewis. I, I like the kid a lot. I think he's going to hit. I think he's going to play defense wherever they end up playing him. And maybe it's going to be shortstop, but I think it would be, it would be, you know, foolish or, or at least unwise to think he's going to step into Correa's footsteps and we're not going to notice any fall off. Now we may ultimately, he may be the, you know, when he's 28 years old, like Correa is, he may be, you know, 
the Carlos Correa at that point. But, you know, I, I just I, – I, I would hate to see them go into the end of the season unless they were to get a really big knocker. I mean, and they could say, okay, we're just going to find a guy that can play the hell out of shortstop defensively and take it from there. But I, I – uh, I like the I like the big hitter. I like another starting pitcher that's you know th- that is proven, and they got to figure out they got to figure out shortstop. And you know Lavelle, you can you can address this better than I can. But you know, the money that Correa is talking about is going to that Scott Boris is going to be talking about, and we'll see how the how baseball reacts to uh, that with a couple other good, you know really good shortstops on the, on the market as well this winter. I think what will be interesting is okay. Everybody was complaining about Joe Mauer, you know, making the you know the money he did and how much it sucked out of being able to help every everywhere else. That was the complaint that I you know that I kept hearing. And I just don't know. I mean, if it's if they're going to pay, if they need to pay Correa between thirty and forty million dollars a year and do it for a long time, you're going to be back into that scenario unless unless the Polans just say, well, that's that's only fifteen uh, percent of the four hundred million dollar payroll we're getting. You know, I mean, I, I just right. I don't see that. So, you know, I'm mean, as much as I want Correa on this club, that conversation you know, that is gonna is gonna come up again. Yeah, that will be uh, very interesting to watch. And, and, it, and also, I believe after 2023, the Twins television deal expires, so they'll be signing a new deal with Bally or whoever. Uh, is going to be the station at that at, at that time, and I'm sure it's going to be a a, a major upgrade from what they're getting now, because uh, the Twins have one of the you know least uh, lucrative deals in baseball. I mean, I was told at the beginning of this year that they're still getting more revenue from ticket sales than they do their television contract, which you know kind of boggles my mind because teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees, their payroll is covered by the TV contract already. You know. And so um, I think that um, that's something that needs to be balanced out a little bit more. Now, as far as um, making a trade, I'm all for it. I mean, at this point, um, the thing right now, why this time is probably the best time ever to do it is because they have a number, a number of young players who are either have, have gotten some major league experience or are close to getting major league experience. And that makes them controllable assets for six years that you can, put a package uh together with and that's gonna what that is the type of stuff that will entice teams you know to, to trade them a big popper in the middle of the lineup or maybe a starter who's a notch better at least in uh, sonny gray and and joe ryan um so i i think everybody's on the board and depending on what happens with correa um i wouldn't be afraid to have a discussion including royce lewis uh, but I need to know what Correa is going to do here for the next several years. Um, you know, Matt Walner is like their fifth-ranked prospect. You know, I, I like what I see from the kid. Um, he's going to be an intriguing prospect. You know, I I, I, I may want to see more from him to, to see if it's a guy I actually want on my roster instead of putting in a package. But, you know, I listen on him. I listen for, I listen on Kirloff. I listen on Larnick. Um even a couple of these uh, younger starters, Josh Winder, who I think has talent, I, I wouldn't mind. You know, I would wouldn't be averse to uh, having a discussion surrounding him as part of a package. Simeon Woods Richardson, Austin Martin, uh, you know, 
because this, this division is going to get a little tougher. I think Cleveland, um, who uh, who's in the playoffs right now, they're, they're not going to get any worse. I mean, you know, they're ascending right now. They'll probably be looking to add some talent for next year. The White Sox are going to be ticked off. They're going to want to bounce back from what happened this year. So the, the Twins have to look at what's going to look at what the next five years is going to be in this AL Central division and realize we're going to have to raise the stakes here. And, uh, and that means they're, they're, they're going to have to, uh, you know, consider, you know, trading some of their top prospects in a package to get someone to put them over the top. I will say that, uh, you know, I, in one of my late season columns, I was like, Hey, go get an ACE, go get somebody like Justin Verlander. Uh, even knowing that that might be unrealistic, just throwing that out there as an example of what you want to do. I will say, I, I try to balance any opinion with actual reality and it's amazing how many aces have not performed well so far in this early in this postseason how about lander was terribly yesterday uh the mets lost with scherzer and Degrom on the mound uh you know i mean it's it it sounds good go get an ace uh but a lot of teams are winning a lot of games with not necessarily your pure ace on the mound these days although the indians have got got uh, got past the race uh basically because of pitching uh, that may be the one exception right there. Right. And uh, man, Seattle, Seattle's Luis Castillo, man, that guy can he can deal. He can no, deal. He's, he's just <laughs> he's just nasty. And and um, but Jim, you make a uh, I, you make a really good point. Uh, Max Fried's another guy. You know, I mean, yep. he went, that's the that's the shortest start that he's had in you know two years. Um, right. So I mean, it is the uh, the aces aren't. Absolutely, you know, absolutely going to do it every time. But I mean, that's the aces do get you into this part of the playoffs. I mean, they do. So um, you know, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I think, I think uh, a notch, a, a, the next notch uh, up, if even all the way to ace, that would that would go that would go an awful long way <clears throat> toward um, them being able to you know, look at their roster and say, oh, yeah, we can absolutely compete with uh, Cleveland, you know, toe-to-toe and, and the White Sox, you know, toe-to-toe. So Cleveland is interesting uh, to me. We talked we talked about this all season. We talked about it early in the season, middle of the season, uh, just past the All-Star break. I think one of your questions, Jim, was uh, uh, for us was, you know, who you most of, who, who you think is going to win. And, you know, I thought the White Sox talent ultimately you – know, you know, nod to Cleveland pitching, but I, I just didn't think they were going to have enough offense to, you know, to do it. And the White Sox would step up eventually. That didn't happen. But what did happen is they got a couple of guys in the middle of the infield in Jimenez and and Rosario that mm-hmm. came nowhere to be huge offensive cogs in that in that deal. And then all of a sudden they found offense to, you know, to go with the pitching that they have. So looking at that from the twin standpoint, you know, I mean they. I think one more, well, not one more, a, you know, Bieber type person, a, a, you know, and whether it's not, it, it doesn't have to be that, you know, that stellar, but I mean, one, one more starter of that ilk would, um, and, a, and a hitter would go a long way because it's going to be tough to compete against Cleveland now because they believe they can hit and they know they can pitch and the White Sox, um, they, unless they continue to just, they should be they should be better next year too. So, Twins yeah, got to. I think they've got to you know take some major steps. Cleveland to me is somewhat similar to the Royals teams that went to back to back World Series. Um, they don't have a lot of power, 
but they take generally good at bats and they put the ball in play and they got contact hitters and they run, you know, first to third, first to home, and they don't they don't beat themselves. So it's kind of a scrappy team that uh, that can be can be rather pesky, you know. But that's the type of team that uh, you got to get put your foot down on them early and get a good lead against, or they're going to start stealing bases and running out of the ballpark. There, so they remind me a little bit of the Royals team. Once again, thanks to Corona, the official import beer sponsor of the Minnesota Twins, the presenting sponsor of the Chin Music Show here at TalkNorth.com. All right, let's go let's go big picture here across the sport. Uh, you know, people, I think a lot of people have associated me with baseball writing, uh, even though I covered the NFL for a long time. NFL is kind of everybody's game. And if you cover uh, a baseball team on a very intimate daily basis, you become kind of aligned with, with that team. So, but... You know, I've, I've covered the NFL for a long time. As a columnist, I find the NFL inherently fascinating. There's always a storyline. There's always something to write about. And the baseball season can be a slog, especially if the local team isn't playing well. But I, watching baseball and football over the last week, I kept having this thought. Baseball is a better game. It's, it's a more beautiful game. It's a more interesting game. And you're not watching people uh, suffer brain injuries for your enjoyment, your, you know, your, 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 was <laughs> I, I absolutely botched the phrase. I was trying to look for the right phrase. You're, you're not watching people injure themselves for your pleasure. Uh, right. uh, and I know you guys are both baseball guys, but, but you also both like what football and watch uh, both sports. You know, what is your view of the aesthetic nature of baseball at this juncture in 2022? And again, let's start with Roy. Well, I think it's aesthetically beautiful as you do. Uh, I've, I've always thought that, and, and uh, we're, we're hitting a talent level now of, you know, 22 to 32-year-olds that are tremendous fun to watch. How about Trey Turner? Uh, oh, I mean, the, the, the so guy is just, is just a gazelle that can hit, and, mm-hmm. and you know, you love what, you just love watching guys like, you know, like that, and they're all over the, over the league. And even the crusty guys like, you know, Bryce Harper. I mean, then so he comes back and he's starting to swing the bat really well. And, and anything can happen when he walks up there. So the one thing that I would say, I'm really hoping, really hoping that the pitch clock actually does something to speed up the game. And mm-hmm. it would seem, you know, inherent, it would seem axiomatic that if, you know, if guys can't step out of the box except one time in a bat and pitchers have 15 seconds, they receive the ball to get the sign and go. I would think that the the beauty of the game, w- once the pitchers and hitters adjust, and there will be huge adjustments. <laughs> it's going to be really, really humorous to watch. But it's once they adjust, then I would think that even more of the aesthetic beauty of the game will, and the talent of these athletes uh, will come out. And I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, there are some things I don't, I, I can't stand that you can throw over to first base twice and then you got to pick him off or, or else it's, you know, it's a block the third time. I, I think that's silly, but, but all in all, I think there's a chance that the game speeds up and it's, it's more comfortable to, for most fans to watch. I've always been a Bart Giamatti fan when, when he was alive and he was just a brilliant guy and a wonderful league president and a wonderful spokesperson for the game. And, he talked about the pastoral nature of baseball and how the just the rhythm of of everything was was just a uh, it, it was like watching something wonderful while you're having a picnic lunch and, and 
you know, I, I get I, that's the way I've always felt. But I also will acknowledge that if we if we got a pitcher delivering the ball every 15 seconds, I think the whole game's going to get plussed up an awful lot. I agree, Rory. And, and you know, the funny thing is, too, is that you know I learned this from you know covering Tom Kelly. He always believed that a pitcher that worked in with a certain rhythm kept his defense sharp, and um, and that would and, and you would think that working faster would you know help those guys stay locked in, you know, stay stay alert, and um, and that would actually be a benefit to the defense. But um, yeah, I I mean I agree. Um, I just think hitting the baseball is like one of the Toughest things, one of the greatest things you can do in sports. Um, a ball that a pitcher can either sink, run, cut, hook, drop, you know, slide, or just do all kinds of crazy things with. You got to be able to recognize a pitch in like what two tenths of a second. I think that Robert Adair, Robert Adair said in his book or whatever. And then once you decide you're going to swing at the pitch, you got to make sure you connect with it. And uh, those who do that well, you know, I just always had. An infinity for, and I actually am happy about some of these rule changes because I think it does help the aesthetic beauty of baseball. Um, the pitch clock, making the bases larger. Um, I like to see more stolen bases, you know, in, in the game. Um, uh, batting the shift um, that brings up any hitters who hit ground balls back into play. I, I, I wish that the hitters would just take advantage of the shift and hit the ball where the fielders weren't, but uh, we didn't get that, so. Now we have to legislate uh, uh, <laughs> defenses, you know, which I think thinks, you know, um, football. I mean, we're frauds. Okay. We like to see great plays, you know, um, but we also like, we watch it because the re- reason I watched auto racing with my mother, we want to see car crashes. And that's, and that's what we do. We, we like about football is, is the, is the, we get excited about the brutality that surrounds the sport. And then, when we find out that Tua, Tua, Tua Viola, Viola uh, has a concussion, now we're up in arms about how the Dolphins are mistreating him and rushing him back onto the field without proper ch- clearance and channels. And I'm like, we're hypocrites. You know, we get mad because we, we think Tua's being done wrong, but at the same time, you know, we want to see big hits. We like seeing collisions. You know, we're, we're masochists that, that, in that way. So, um, so baseball's got football beat in that regard. A couple of things that you said, Lavelle, that really uh, resonate. One is I hate the idea that hitters can't just hit the ball in the opposite field. And I know. I, yep. I just hate, I, I hate it on every level, and I hate, including viscerally. I just, I, you know, I, I just hate it. But, okay, that's going to go away. It is what it is. But guys that work fast, two things happen. Pitchers that work fast, uh, Tom Kelly's absolutely right. Guys play better behind them. You absolutely are ready. And, uh, and you see uh, – Great defensive play, more great defensive plays, and fewer botched plays. If a guy's working working fast, the second thing is working fast really puts a lot of pressure on the hitter. Uh, and you know, if a guy is getting the ball, getting ready to throw it, it, it this and that's what I was kind of alluding to when I talked about the, the adjustments. So, so pitchers are going to have to adjust. They're going to have to get the sign and get ready to go, and they can't walk around the mound. They can't think a lot. They can not going to be able to shake off a lot of signs. They're, the pitcher catcher relationship is going to have to get really, really strong, you know, before the game about each hitter and, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is, which is kind of cool. But, you know, the second thing is as much as the pitchers are going to have to adjust to that, you're going to see some hitters. You're, you're going to witness in real time, some hitters minds exploding, trying to figure out what their plan is because they can't step out of the box and 
and take 20 seconds to say, okay, here's what I'm going to look for. Here's what I'm going to do, blah, blah, blah. They're just going to have to be in the box and get ready. And you're going to see wheels turning like in a, spinning around like you've never seen before. So I think the whole thing's kind of, is, is going to be pretty good. Once again, thanks to Krona. Thanks to our producer, Brianne Burnett. One more topic here. Let's get to one thing Roy said. The athletes are phenomenal. Uh, there is a, a level of skill and athletic ability throughout every major league roster that I just don't, you know, you just don't see many people you would call slugs. You don't see many people who are just, you know, I mean, these people are well-trained. Uh, there are great athletes. The, you know, the continuing infusion of great athletes and great ball players from Latin American countries uh, has just, you know, made the game great. Uh, and I want to see them playing baseball with the ball in play, not standing around between pitches. And I think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see these people in full flight more often. And I'm all for that. I, I you know, even if it goes against the nature of the game and what we call, you know, as you said, the pastoral beauty, uh, I, we're in 2022. Everybody has ADD. You need to keep people's uh, <laughs> you need to keep people's attention, and I think this pitch clock will do that. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I agree. Yeah. Got to change in in that way, but I still believe that there's going to be enough uh, of the pastoral nature to it that we we're not going to we're not going to lose the essence of what baseball is just because you know pitchers can't you know uh, take forever to deliver the ball. The other thing that I think is going to happen is when they're working quickly and you know electronic strike zone or not. So next year, not no electronic strike zone. Pitchers are going to be working quickly. Hitters are going to be not able to get out of the box very often. And you're going to see a lot more balls put in play. You're going to see, I think you're going to see fewer walks as a result. I think the ball is going to get thrown over the plate a lot more. I think guys are going to put it in play a lot more. I think there's a chance that everything gets better in that regard. Are you saying pitchers may actually go deeper the games because it's going to be fewer walks. I'm saying exactly that, and wow. as a, as a wow. corollary to uh, you know to all of that, yes, I think I, I think that's that's going to be a big part of it. Now, you know, just to be on the you know tad cynical side here, pitchers would rather walk guys than throw them something that they think um, you know the hitter might be able to hit out of the ballpark, right? So you know, three and two count, three and one count. They're liable to throw anything. And it won't be a strike uh, because they're trying to be make a perfect pitch, so the guy didn't hit the ball, ball out of the ballpark. And that mentality—if you're willing to walk again rather than put the ball in play—then I think for a while you're going to. The cynic enemy says you're going to say you're going to see pitchers go, "Go ahead, go down to first base. I want to take some more time. I don't care." <laughs> so we, 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 it may backfire. It may, but I don't think that I don't think that will be uh, the rule. I think that will be the exception for a while. All right, let's get a final thought from everybody. Uh, thanks for listening to the Chin Music Show here at TalkNorth.com. There's so many topics I want to get into in depth that we're going to be getting into as the offseason rolls on. Uh, you know, the poll ads, uh, the Twins philosophies, some of the prospects coming up, some of the possible moves that can be made. Uh, so we'll be back next week to start drilling down on some of those, but also just talk about the postseason. I think it's going to be a spectacular postseason. It already has been in a lot of ways. So let's, uh, let's get a final thought from everybody. Let's start with Roy. Well, a couple of things. I, I'm with Lavelle in that everybody's everybody is on the table in terms of, of making a deal. I mean, literally everybody, Buxton included. Now, I don't think they'll trade Buxton because I don't think the deal would ever be worth it. But I think that you got to listen to everything and have some creative ideas 
uh, with uh, young players, decide who it is that, uh, with all the deals that could be made, which guys you, you're willing to give up for those for those special players that come in and which ones uh, you say, no, we'll pass on that deal, we'll stay with our guy. Uh, I absolutely think the offseason should be viewed exactly that way. They're, they're in a great position of strength because they have, I think, a, a, a good nucleus and they've got enough talent uh, in uh, the minor leagues and the, and the major league roster where they could put together some really interesting deals like they did right right before the season started this this last year and um, so that's my thought about the twins and just and, and I just want to tell you know remind everybody I mean, watch this postseason this is going to be this is going to be a lot of fun you will not be sorry you're watching these baseball games Lavelle my thought is this uh, it seems like every postseason we have a moment where a manager's decision is going to almost haunt him forever. Uh, uh, Kevin Cash is still taking heat for leaving Blake mm-hmm. Snell in too long a couple years ago. All right. And we've already had a moment like that in this postseason. All right. The Seattle Mariners had a chance of stealing game one in Houston against the Astros. And they had their closer on the mound in the ninth inning. Jordan Alvarez comes to the plate and there's two men on. All right. So Scott Service decides to pull his closer and bring in Robbie Ray. So it's a lefty and lefty matchup. All right. So I'm expecting to see sliders thrown uh, to Alvarez, you know, a little bit off the plate, see if he chases, or maybe he, you know, rolls over on one and ends the game. No, Robbie Ray throws three consecutive fastballs. The third one is center cut. And I think the ball is still traveling. Uh, Alvarez hit it so hard. So, that decision is going to be haunting Scott's service forever. And we're, we have just started the postseason. I can't wait to see what other managerial decisions may end up in the spotlight. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I know it's supposed to be the final point, uh, but uh, that's, that's such a great point. And two things come out of that. First of all, one thing a manager can't do is he can't, he's, he's not going to tell Robbie Ray, and I'm with you, Lavelle. He should have. He came in, I thought, man, what a matchup this is going to be. And it was anyway. I mean, we're talking about how great these players are. Alvarez hitting that ball off of, you know, arguably the toughest left-hander on left-hand hitters that there is. Uh, I mean, that was beautiful. That was a beautiful thing. But the manager can't, I mean, that's kind of like, that's kind of like, uh, yeah, if you want to throw your fastball, go ahead. Uh, but not there. <laughs> right. I mean, the manager can't do anything about the pitching, uh, the individual pitches decisions. I thought the move was a good one because he comes in for one hitter. He's got a day's rest. He comes back and, you know, it's kind of like a bullpen for him. I thought it was a good move and his player backfired on him a little bit. And and the point I'll make too, is that because of the era we live in with social media, instant reactions, instant second guessing on everything. Sometimes we forget to enjoy the majesty of the moment. Uh, Robbie Ray came in. You can question the decision. You can question pitch selection. Uh, still, he's a good. He's a very good left-handed pitcher. Yes. And Jordan Alvarez, in uh, you know, really a, a a movie scene. You know, hits a three-run home. I mean, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that somebody go a lefty against a good lefty hits a game-winning three-run homer in the bottom. I mean, that 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 is a wonderful moment. It's it's an indelible moment, and it should be about more than just the managerial decision. It's still hard to hit that pitch that far. Oh, it's absolutely true. I mean, it was a beautiful moment. It really was. It's, it was a it was a tense moment. It was a 
star against star. It, it was a this left-handed pitcher is probably going to get this left-handed hitter out. I don't. I, I didn't have any problem with the with the move at all. The guy he, that he replaced I mean, it was was struggling. Uh, you got you know one of the best hitters in the game. Uh, as good as he is against all kinds of pitchers, this guy Robbie Ray, pretty special. Let, let me, just give me give me three good sliders, Robbie, and <laughs> it just didn't happen. And it was natural, the natural kind of moment, no question about it. Good stuff, gentlemen. I appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Thanks to everyone who listens. Thanks again to Brianne. And thanks for listening to TalkNorth.com.